Ready? One, two, three. Welcome to Persisting in Color. How many different intros can I do? We should see how, just like. I'll just keep going. Persisting in color. We've got a very, very special guest. She's inspiring. She's really pushing the boundaries of what like society says you should think and just radical love as radical love as a form of radicalness. That doesn't work. But you get what I'm saying. Anyway, we've got Kashara Johnson here. Hi, Kashara. Hi. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for agreeing to to come on to our podcast. Also, it's Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Um, even though when this comes out, it'd be like March. So we like to start with our WTF, WWP, so our what the fuck and our what, why we persist, and then we'll give you kind of space to let the listeners know who you are, what you do a little bit, and then we can dive in. Sound okay. good? Cool. Woo! I guess... I can start with my WTF, WWP. So the world is a fucked up place and I have a couple WTFs, but I'm gonna focus on the least political one for myself and my own like heart rate, which is, it's been brought to my attention like in all these different ways over the past couple of weeks, just how many different forms of hate and like different focuses of discrimination are going or going on all around society and just like not being talked about. Like the fact that there seems to only be space for one group of of people being harmed. And I've been hearing about all the hate crimes towards the like Asian community and all of the like anti-Semitic hate crimes going on. And I had to hear about it from friends and colleagues that I have in those communities because it's not anywhere on the news and so my WPF is just kind of like seriously like we like society has harmed so many people all simultaneously but we can only we like we're only willing to face our crimes one at a time like if you can execute them all at the same time we can address them all at the same time um but my my WWP has been, I don't even know if this has been my before, but it usually is. Anyway, just seeing the little bit of progress from people in my life and noticing those little instances where the needle is getting pushed forward and like those little instances where the friend that was really against therapy is is willing to look into it or hearing about people's self-realizations and just like understanding and having proof that like on an individual basis some at least some people are doing the work <laughs> so that's my WTF and my WWP Kishara do you want to go next oh my gosh okay um my WTF would be the fact that people are surprised to an extent that Donald Trump got impeached, um, got acquitted twice. I feel like this country was obviously like it, this, this, the justice system worked as it was supposed yeah. to. So the fact that there's so many people, 
I will say mostly white liberal people are that surprised. It's kind of like, where you been? Like, where have you been? WTF? <laughs> like, how have you not noticed that this is exactly how the system works? You know, like, if there would have been a bunch of people of color out there, like, this trial would have gone completely differently. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, if there were a bunch of people, yeah, it wouldn't have even gotten to a trial. Right. Um, and is it why we prosper? Not prosper. I, why we prosper as well. <laughs> yes. Prosper, persist, process. I feel like for me, why I persist is because I just have such a deep belief in that this world can be better and that we can like there I just envision a world where we literally can exist as we are and um where I can exist on my own terms and empower other people to to do the same and to be able to exist outside of all of the mental hoops I have to go through as a person of color and so for me, I persist because I really believe in creating solutions that can empower other people. I like that term, exist on my own terms. I'm, I'm going to cement that up here, up here in my brain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Debbie J? I will honestly say you both took both of my WTFs for the league. I was like, okay, can I take that one? Oh, damn. Of course, I was going to bring up the impeachment, but I guess in conjunction to, to you know, the uh, WTF moments that were brought up this week, I think we all, we are all constantly, continuously juggling the fact that all of this is happening around us, and yet we're still expected to show up either to work or to our families or to our personal lives to, like, kind of keep up with just life and I think, you know, I think this, this past week only because there was like election and like January was a new year. And so like, you're kind of on that high. And now that we're back in February, it's kind of just like, oh, like, no, we're still exhausted. Um, and so this week was like, just really like exhausting for me on like a personal note. And I mean, it's kind of ironic as an HR professional to be afraid of taking a personal day when I tell people to take personal days all the time. And so um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a testament of like how we as individuals, and I think women of color just find it so much harder to, to think that we deserve a break only because again, we're just so expected to constantly show up for us for all of a sudden less than for some reason. Um, mm -hmm. But why I persist is because um, I actually watched uh, an independent film that came out um, called Minari. And it's about um, the story of immigration. And it's like story of a, of a Korean American family that immigrates um, to like the deep South. And it has nothing to do with like my family particularly because like my parents immigrated to New York City, but I, like it just resonated so much with me. I watched it twice in one week. Um, and it's, it's really beautiful because I mean, I think more of these stories are coming to life. Um, and more of these stories are becoming part of mainstream media. Um, but like, dang, that movie definitely like, you know, those films or those TV shows or an episode that you watch and you're just like, oh my God, this is 
it just hits me in a different way. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've had that moment with, with this movie. It's great. And tell me again what the name, <clears throat> what the name was. Minari, M-I-N-A-R-I. That one is on my to watch list oh, for sure. So good. And so good. I mean, just from watching like the preview, like I, and I am obviously definitely not Asian, but you kind of, it just the feeling that I got, it felt, I don't know. I feel like we should normalize that, like normalize watching movies that are completely different from our own cultures. Because I felt a connection to it in like a very, in a way I haven't felt a connection to a movie that wasn't about black people or or whatever, you know? Like it's, yeah, it's one, yeah. you feel that connection when you watch a movie about your own culture. And I, I feel like I'm, that's definitely on my right. to watch list. I think most importantly, it's about like a, like a story about a family who struggles uh-huh. and has like, has like struggles, but also, to add on another WTF, WTF, um, it got nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Foreign Film, and it's an American, it's an American story, American movie. Yeah. The director, the writer, they're they're both American, and so that's that's yeah, that's that. I'm just gonna say it. I'm just gonna leave it at that. Yeah, I, is that not like enraging? <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that you're just like. We're. So- Centered in whiteness, that anything outside of that other, and that's so infuriating. Always, it's uh, to give you more context because it's most of the movie is spoken in Korean. I mean, because like immigrants, right? I don't care. So like, I mean, it's it's just like it's it's set in Arkansas, like in like the deep south, like so. it um, it just like you said it's just infuriating of like the you want to be like America is a melting pot and we're also different and we bring different things to the table and it's great but then on the same time you're saying there's only one way there's one box that looks like American and everything else is foreign and it's like you can't have both like do you do you want to be homogenous or do you want to like I think I think while that was very can I curse on this oh yeah oh okay I was like okay <laughs> um I think while that was very um I fucked up I do think it raised a really great conversation um about and Deb you can go more into this I'm not going to speak on like your experience but the concept of Asian people being like perpetual foreigners oh absolutely you know and so I thought that raised I mean it's ridiculous that that but I, I do think that was a very needed and important conversation that's being raised and that is a prime example of that and I, I don't know what that feels like to be perpetually otherized in that way. I almost think know? in a sense of like, you know, I, I think that for just for so long that we've been put into that category and that no matter what we do, like the way that I speak, I don't have an accent. I'm born and raised in America simply because of 
the way that I look and, you know, my culture and where I came from, I think it's just really hard for, I mean, if it has taken so long for us to get the first black president and the first female black Asian Pacific vice president, like it's taken so long for us to even like swap, like, I don't even think, you know, we embrace it. I think we just, most of America just has swallowed it. It swallowed and accepted it. I don't think they've embraced it. I think for a really long time, immigrants and the immigrant story has just been so just at, like put to the side that I think our our cultures and our communities have just gone to the point where we're just like we're, we're kind of used to it but like that's kind of bad in a sense right that's kind of like like desensitization that like oh like actually you know just be, like because of COVID and because of you know the whole the whole you know I mean also the president said China virus but I mean the whole notion of there being racism amongst our communities now like I mean, we're enraged, but we're also not surprised because like it has been happening. And I'm sure like you both can also speak to it. It's kind of just like you are so it's easier to kind of let it go past you than to try and process just how quote unquote fucked up, you know, hate is towards our communities. Um, but yeah, totally. It's 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 just that I, I do agree that it's it's bringing up a lot of conversations and I'm actually glad that, you know, it is. And people are actually starting to see like, oh, why, like this is why some institutions are just historically just, they're historically effed up to, to, quite, to be quite honest. Uh, obviously it broke the flow having to come back from Zoom, but unless anyone had anything else they wanted to add to you, the last topic, Kishara, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Um, yeah, so my name is Kishara Johnson. I'm a writer, a designer. Um, by day, I am an office manager for an architecture firm downtown. But whenever I'm not doing that, I'm um, really passionate about social action and social change and specifically giving people a space to feel heard and their feelings validated and a validation of their experiences. And so um, I created Undiscovered Worth a few years ago as a space to be able to hold um, really honest and authentic conversations with women on like a variety of topics. Um, and more recently I've been sharing like my own writing there. Um, and then last summer, me and my friend Tyra started Unpack It, which is a space created to unpack microaggressions um, via submitted stories and also like educational and also like humorous types of posts to kind of add some levity. Um, so yeah, the vision for Unpack It is to eventually launch um, soon, we're still working on like the coding and building out of the site, um, a globalized database site that's user-friendly for um, people to be able to look up different microaggressions according to their ethnicity, where they live, where they experience microaggressions, and with who. Um, localized space. So. so would that be like 
more on the side of just connecting and being able to be like, okay, I wasn't the only one or almost like, um, oh, what is that? What is that project to kind of like track cat calling so that, you know, women are aware of, of where it's most rampant and it's like easier to track it for safety and like social justice purposes. So it's a little bit of both. It's first and foremost, it centers people who experience microaggressions. So what, I don't know, I always mention this, but um, a couple of years ago, maybe like the end of 2017 or the end of 2018, Lindsay Peoples Wagner came out with an article on the cut um, where she's talking about what it's like to be black in the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. And it really just like completely went viral. And from me reading it, I actually had a conversation with a friend about microaggressions. And I was like, it's so wild that like our parents and our grandparents and before, like they dealt with over racism and misogyny and all types of stuff. And now we're kind of like entering the space of very like coded language that makes it really, really hard to call people out on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't really describe it. You can't really, it's hard to pinpoint. You can't really even for me, when I experience microaggressions, I can't even pinpoint what the feelings are. And if I'm already like in my mind having like 15 different questions of, is this like, should I be upset about this? Is this what they intended this to mean? And so I was like, it's crazy that oftentimes we only have these conversations with like close friends or yeah. we don't even tell anyone cause we're embarrassed or we have this conversation with family. Um, and so it's on a very small scale. And I was like, it, there needs to be a space where this is on a wide scale so that even if I live here in the Southeast United States and I'm dealing with microaggressions at work with strangers, because I do have a ton of stories as an office manager um, of dealing with microaggressions in the workplace with strangers and coworkers, um, though I'm more likely to call folks out that I work with, I don't play. But <laughs> it's a little bit harder with, with clients. When it's just like a random person coming in and right. Like, right, right, right. But you knew better. They're like, who are yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, now you know. Um, so, I, I feel, I was like, I, I, there should be a space where anyone should be able to go onto a website and look up what their microaggressions are, where, how they, however they identify, if you're part of the LGBTQIA community, like you should be able to, to click and find every other story that matches that where you live. Yeah. Um, so that's basically like the, the full basis of it. Like I, before before I went to school for art, I was a neuroscience major. Okay. Which Damn. I thought I was gonna be a doctor. I was like, oh yeah, we're gonna make like we're gonna be changing lives and saving lives. And I you feel are, like I just kind of just in a different, yeah, like in a different kind of way. Um, but what I love the most about neuroscience, I hated the biology part, but I love the psychology and like knowing how people thought and how people groups worked and and things like that. Um, And so Unpack It offers me the opportunity to design something that's very user-friendly, that's approachable, um, but also that is kind of a bit rooted in in data. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's primarily for people who experience microaggressions, but I also want it to be a space for those who may be microaggressors to be able to go and look um, and see 
you know, have I done any of these things and mm-hmm. how has this made people feel and, and how have my actions potentially impacted others and, and things like that. I absolutely love that. Off, the, off, like as soon as you started talking about it, my brain was like, oh, it could go like this, it could go like this, it could go this way. Blah, 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 blah. But that's not what we're here to talk about. I absolutely <laughs> love that. <laughs> um, kind of like, I guess, like starting from a super high level, though, you've had both these program program both these campaigns for like a couple couple years total, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. What would you say is kind of like the biggest thing that you've learned or taken away that you weren't expecting to from them? Mm. I have learned, and this is recently, but I have um, really learned to lean into telling the truth. Mm. And not that I don't, like, I'm not saying that I go out and I lie or anything like that. <laughs> But, you know, oftentimes we, we tell, but we try to package it pretty, Mm -hmm. like I may be having a real shit day, but I'm going to tell, if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to be like, you know, it's been, you know, difficult, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not going to tell you that I cried in my car and, and, but I've realized that people really need that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes, I think oftentimes we thrive in spaces where we're telling the truth in a raw kind of way and just, just, just tell it like, that's just so important. And I think that especially with social media and mostly with social media, we've become accustomed to packaging things really pretty Mm -hmm. and we may be telling the truth, but it's not the full picture, if that makes sense um what is it lying by omission mm-hmm. yeah I get that uh it's so easy to because it's more comfortable for you oh like, my gosh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the reason why um it's like undiscovered worth I started that my freshman year of college as a fashion blog and then I started oh gosh I've scrubbed all that. Oh gosh, I've scrubbed all of the the photos, but I, I started yeah. writing on there, like just telling about how my day was going, what I was experiencing while in college, because it was a very like strange, you know, college is just very strange and mm-hmm. interesting time. And so I noticed people started really engaging with that kind of content, liking the truth that I was telling um, from there. Um, and then it kind of evolved to me doing interviews. And I recently realized that like, I love doing interviews. Like I, I love having these honest conversations with people. I, I'm not a huge fan of small talk really. Like I'm like, let's get like, let's dig in. Yeah. And so what I started to notice was that I was actually kind of almost hiding behind the interviews, if that makes sense. Cause it's- In what way? Um, because as long as you're asking someone else the questions, you're not really revealing a lot about yourself. Oh, you being the interviewer, like, I miss yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, me being the interviewer. Like I can ask people these questions and they can say like, you know, answer my questions and we can have this conversation and I can like, I'm able to better control how much I tell. Like I can mm-hmm. kind of open the door and give comment to their comment, but it's not really me out there telling it all, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this year I decided to really um 
start telling my own story and sharing my own thoughts about life and, and the things that I feel. Um, because there was also, and I don't know, maybe this is not just, I'm sure it's not just my own experience, but I think for the longest I'd convinced myself that my story didn't really matter, you know? It's like, oh, you know, like, why would anyone care about my story? Like, why would anybody want to read about that? It's just like, yeah, I think when we're in our own bodies, living our own lives, it doesn't seem like there's anything sometimes to give, you know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, nobody wants to know about that trash, you know, but um, I've, I've really made it a challenge this year to start not just, it's not just my role to be inspiring to people or to inspire people or uplift, uplift people, but to also like tell the nitty gritty truth about what's going on and and about the experience that I have in this yeah. world navigating as a black woman. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I totally agree. And I feel like, I mean, I also had a moment where like, I mean, a lot, we all know a lot has happened in the past year, but I, I do remember specifically there was a moment, um, it was like last summer and we were like, we were, dead in the middle of this global pandemic last summer and I think I just woke up and I was like actually I just need to write down my like my thoughts my story and I at this point I don't even give if nobody reads it I just need to write down how I'm feeling about x y and z so I'm, I'm wondering if in the past year like you know if there was a singular moment where that made you realize okay I have a voice and I need to figure out how I'm going to use it and actually, you know, embrace it by, you know, starting to share it with others or if it was just a gradual of like, okay, I had to come to become this person who is not no longer afraid to share their voice. Yeah, I think it was more gradual. Um, and for context, like my background is I am from Mobile, Alabama, which is right along the coast. It's like deep South. Like, I mean, I could probably drive to Florida in a couple hours, like very deep South, um, very Christian household, um, very strict parents. Um, and you know, in the South, you don't really, you kind of keep things pretty and like, and uh, surface level like so like in my family we didn't have hard conversations you know like if I was angry about anything like it was more of like a children are to be seen and not heard and I kind of just grew up learning and internalizing like any bad feelings that I have I need to keep that to myself Mm. you know um my dad passed away when I was four Um, and so to like deal with that, like I, there was no conversation about grief counseling at age four. So there's like dealing with that, those feelings, like my mom got remarried when I was six. And so like navigating, you know, like when you're that young, like I don't, my memory, you know, like it's it's kind of like my dad was there, then he wasn't. And then my stepdad was there. So there's like navigating that. And like, we never really talked about that transition in our family. So there was a lot that we didn't talk about and um, and I didn't feel comfortable being able to, you know, like no one, I don't remember 
I think like my parents would say like, oh yeah, you can talk to us about anything. But like most people's parents say you can talk to us about anything, but it's like, really? But then you try to test it. You're like, never mind, never mind. I don't like it. (laughs) Right. Um, And so there, yeah, there was a, we we didn't really talk about a whole lot in our family. And so um, especially growing up in a Christian household, like the way that theology was taught, it was very much of women are supposed to be in the background. Women aren't supposed to like, you're supposed to be supporting men in a way. Like you're not supposed to have a voice, like a platform in the church. You're just supposed to, you know, sit there with your husband or sit there with your family and then, you know, take care of the kids in the back. And, and so like, I had all of these messages saying like, don't talk about hard things. Don't, you know, use your voice because we either don't want to hear it or it's not appropriate. You know, if you're angry, you don't show that either. Um, you know, it was just, and then going, grow, going to a school that was mostly white, like that was a whole other can of worms. Yeah. Um, so it's been very gradual. I think it's kind of picked up since 2019 when I started going to therapy more regularly to deal with some of the underlying things, you know, um, and so, so yeah, I would say it's definitely been more gradual. What I say, I, what I think has been really helpful, if there was anything to like, kind of, you know, I take that back. There was one thing that made me think like, this is kind of a defining moment in a way. And that was when I learned, I think it was in the New York Times or something that of all recorded history, like women have made up roughly 50% of the population, but there's like some small minuscule percentage, like 0.5% of all recorded history is uh, written by women or about women. Excuse me? Wow. So, and I thought about that. I was like, no, like that can't really be true. But then when you think about it, like- I believe it. Yeah, you kind of do. It's like, if it's not written about women or if if it's not written by women, then it's, it's- written about women from a man's perspective and like why don't we have like I'm I'm very happy to have been born into this time period where like it's a privilege to be here right now in 2021 like there's a lot of shit that's going completely on fire and has been on fire for a very long time but at the same time at least I don't have to worry about Jim Crow or I was gonna say being lynched but I am afraid of police um but um you know like they're compared to the things that people and most of history have gone through like this is a real privileged time like to have the internet at your fingertips quite literally like I felt like thinking about that last summer when we were thinking about um creating unpack it that was that learning that statistic was something that was um did completely flip my mind so like I, I mean, I was, I've always been a journaler for at least the last four years. I think I definitely picked it up in like 2016, 2017, but now I've become even more intent on recording my life because there's so many, like millions and billions of women who have existed in this world and there's no written record of them. Um, So I'm a meticulous journaler, like some of my friends are like, that's weird. Cause I have literally a table of contents in the front where I, wow. write, down, I write down the, like in the corner, it's like page numbers in the corner of each page. And then I literally have a table of contents where I write down what the topic of that page is. And I have a journal for each year. 
Wow. And so I feel like I could probably use that. Eventually, I think I'll probably use that for like, um, maybe like writing a book or something. I use it a lot for like um, sharing content on Undiscovered Worth. Like I'll literally pull pages, mm-hmm. right? Like copy pages from my journal and share it. Um, but I also want to be able to, if I have kids, I don't know yet, but have that as recorded history to hand off. Yeah. Wow. I love that so much because I'm such a big journaler, but it's like a very unorganized, like it's very like, and it's, but I'm like the, the data, like operations bright brain in me is like, that's genius. Why didn't I even think of that? Like, I love it. Yeah. I mean, I have so many friends who were like, oh, I don't really journal. I can't, like, I don't, I journal, but it's like sporadic or I just take notes. I'm like any recorded history written by women from our, like by women, that's important. And that needs to be like, I'm literally thinking about scanning these pages so that, you know, whether hopefully there's never like a house fire or anything, but I want like history to know that a black woman existed and this is what one of them was thinking you know yeah yeah I wow I love that so freaking god I I can't get over it because it kind of is like the next level to what I've been thinking I, I guess like I just got to the point where I'm working on the book of poetry because I finally after I've written poetry since I can remember just got to the point where I was like, wait a second, I might have something worth the world hearing. Mm -hmm. It took 25 years or 23, if you count whenever I learned to write, I don't know. But like, and no one has ever put it in that perspective for me. No one has ever. And like, you know, I have parents that are very proud of me and they want me to be empowered and, you know, the teachers or whatever, no one has ever said it in that way. And I think you've just changed my perspective like forever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm really tired of old white men writing our narratives for us. I'm really tired of old white men writing mm-hmm. all of society <laughs> in general. <laughs> right? I would like them to like, yeah, move on. Yeah. But I, I just feel like that to, to live in this time period, like this I mean, I think the average person lives into what their 70s. I would, and hopefully we all thrive and live into our 70s. I would, I'm very excited to get to that point to be able to look back mm. on this particular moment of history. Cause I really do think one, it's exhausting to live through moments of history. Like, come on, it's just, this has been a crazy mm-hmm. couple of years. Um, but I think that this is, we're gonna look back and be like, this is, that was such a gift like the beginning of the internet in the grand scheme of the entire world, like history, like we literally are able as women to take hold of our own narrative and share it in the world. We're in a space where it never gets deleted. Like there will always be record that we existed and it should be written on our own terms. Like I am so like, (laughs) I could go on and on about it. But I'm like, whether you're writing, whether you're painting, like, even if you think whatever you're creating is shit, like you need to put that out there and not even just for, I know now, like there's this pressure to put things out there for accolades or for people to pay attention to it. But like, no, it needs to go out there because people need to know, like, 
there will be in the future i am positive people who do research on the internet like the history of the internet and like collecting this information like i was even talking to a friend a week ago about myspace and how i literally have a myspace account with photos on myspace but i can't like i don't have that email anymore i don't have that password anymore she's like there's like we were talking about there's literally a like three years of our history on a website like there will be a time in the future where we will all look back and like comb through this time frame and so it's really important that you know we actually record that for ourselves and for our you know whoever comes after us like there I, I can only imagine like I just wish like could you imagine a world where generations of women before had the capacity and the the tools of recording their own lives like and what kind of like what kind of knowledge they could have passed on to us so to me like recording your story especially in this time period like it's it's almost like paying it forward even if you think whatever you're creating is shit like just it should be recorded even if you think that it doesn't matter if you're just taking notes in your journal about your to-do list like it should all be recorded yeah yeah Wow, I absolutely love that. Um, I, I can't get over it. But so kind of tying that, I saw that you had one post on your Undiscovered Worth um, page that was like, in others seeing themselves reflected in us, we feel this pressure to be worth reflecting. We feel this pressure that we need to be worth looking at. And, you know, stuff. And you kind of talk about like, no, we need to put that, that pressure and that responsibility of, you know, being worth looked at and worth seeing, being worth being seen, put that down. Um, but that's really hard. That's really yeah. hard to put down when you've got however many decades of society and oftentimes parents and all these different sources saying the opposite. How do you how do you push through that? How do you break that down for yourself? How do you help others break that down? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I only really came to that um, thought via my friend Chelsea a few weeks ago. Wow. Um, and I think that it's one of those things that we all know. It's kind of one of those things where you like, we all know it, but until someone actually puts it into words, you can't really put it into word you can't really look at it deeply until someone speaks it out right you know otherwise it's just kind of stuck in your head and you just accept it as that's what it is and that's fact or whatever um yeah so she she I was interviewing her and she said that she was she was talking about um because she used to live in Atlanta and now she lives in Denver and she was like the woman in Atlanta which I would say it's probably all women. And I think it's just all women, period. But she she's talking about how the difference between the way, the responsibilities that you have to have for your outward appearance in Atlanta versus in Denver. And she's like, in Denver, I saw a woman who looked like me. Like we didn't have make a ton of makeup on. We weren't wearing high heels all the time. Like, like we just dressed how we kind of wanted to and comfortably. And so she was the one that said, you know, women feel reflected in the people they surround themselves with. And I mean, I sat on that for like two weeks. I really had to sit on that. And I I think that part of being able to, I think honestly, that shows the places that are broken inside of us, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, 
to, to feel like you have to take that on and to internalize that. Like, like we don't, we're not born into the world thinking that, yeah. that, you know, I have to look good so that my friends would want to be around me. And I can't be around that person because she does this or she dresses this way or she cut her hair off or, you know, like though, like to internalize that would have to mean that we've internalized this belief that we are not enough and that our outward appearance matters so much more than anything else about us. Um, and I think that that's something that's but very, very, very felt in the South um, because I think a lot of times in the South, um, especially because it's basically like the Bible Belt, um, there's this feeling of responsibility for your children, responsibility for the children that you don't even have that you're gonna you're you're expected to have the yeah. responsibility for your boyfriend and your who's gonna be your spouse when you turn eighteen. Like there, it's just all these pressures. It's it's crazy, um, and so I think that part of kind of taking that responsibility away has to do with coming just being aware that that even exists and to question and and I've had to get to a point where and where I literally break down my thoughts like. Mm-hmm. When she said that, I was like, can you repeat it? Cause I was writing it down. And so from there, like I took that note and I looked in my journal and I was like, what are things that have happened in my life to make me believe this? Yeah. Like specific instances, like how far back can I remember this happening to make me believe this? And why do I still choose to believe that today? Like it's a choice, you know? um to believe that and so now it's I think it's just I I I think I've gotten to a place where it's like I cannot I don't think that I can have a very fulfilling life if I'm always trying to reflect well for others if I'm placing my entire responsibility of looking good and speaking a certain way or not speaking so that I don't offend people or don't like I just can't exist that way. That's no way to exist. Yeah. And we've seen that happen with not just women, but just all people over centuries, you know, like there's a long history of people who have lived that way for other people, according to those societal rules. And we just keep doing it over and over again. Like you've seen where that leads to like that. A lot of those people were probably not fulfilled. There's plenty of stories that I know in my own family of people who decided not to take this chance or not to do this certain thing or this career path because of, you know, fear of what people would say about them in society. And I'm like, I just can't live that way. So I think it also has to do with, you know, a lot of times I feel like people, a lot of times I feel like change happens when you I've reached a place of just such discomfort that you kind of have no choice but to. And I think that I'd kind of reached that place of like, I could either have this really amazing, fulfilling life that may not fit the way that people expect it to in the society, or I can say, fuck it. And I'm going to do what I want to. <laughs> like, I, I can say that, like, I can say, just fuck it. Like, I'm going to do what I want to anyway. Like people in the 1800s were wearing corsets and like, that shit doesn't make any sense. Like, like, you know, like people were doing all types of things throughout history that made sense at the time. And it's going to be the same thing, but the people we remember and the people that seem to have very fulfilling lives with people that didn't follow those rules, or I can follow these rules and try to stay in line and be small and be like plenty of other women who have existed and and 
just be, just live my life for other people. I can't do it. Yeah. And like, to what end? To what end? Yeah. Like, it's like breaking off pieces of yourself till you don't even own yourself. And I can't live that life. <laughs> hit me hard. Like, I told you, I don't do small talk. You don't do small talk, but it's just like, you're really like, you're shifting my perspective. You're giving me new vocabulary. You're giving me new perspectives to look at, to like inspect my own growth from. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the in the grand scheme of time, for us to live 70 years on average, that is really not a lot of time. I mean, I've already had almost 28 years go by and I'm like, what, where did that happen? Like I'm almost 30. So like time does not, time is really a perception of course, like, you know, as far as how fast or slow, but literally <laughs> if, if the world has existed and for billions of years, and I only live 70 of those, like, why should I be living that according to what I think someone else should, thinks that I should be living that? Like, I need to exist in the way that I want to, especially as a Black person, a Black woman, like, we have even that amount of history in, in, in America, at least, like, to have the access and choice, like, to have choice is such a, a relatively new type of privilege that we've had. And even though we don't have it on the same level as white men in this country, you know, of being able to do whatever we want without being questioned, like the fact that I get to exist in this world, like I, I'm going to use it for what I want to use it for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also like, you th talk about it being such a short time and, and what is that, like, if it is such a short time in the grand scheme of things, what is it going to matter if you go against the grain? Mm -hmm. What is the universe going to turn everything around because you decided to like break the social norm for 70 years? And I think, I think also in talking about us taking responsibility for how we reflected to others and like seeing ourselves reflected in the people we surround ourselves with, like, I just think, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. I think that a lot of that has to do, one, with just the way society works and group think. Like we are, like that's not something new. Like yeah. that's happened for since the beginning of humanity um, of needing to be in a group and feeling like you can't stray from that. But I do think that it's, it's, it's it feels especially pointed and severe this during this time frame with, again, social media. Mm -hmm. um, and also with this pressure to accomplish Elon Musk level things, accomplishments by the time we're 28. And there's always this talk of like, you know, take the, the five people you surround yourself with and average it out and that's you. Like, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't help either. But I think that if we really, I think that Oh gosh, it's gonna sound so bad. I had to get to a point where I recognized that like my parents told me I was very special and that I was gonna go off and do great things. And that was great for my self-esteem, like no doubt. But at the end of the day, I'm not that special. Like none of us are real, we are very unique, but we're not special, you know? Like, and that for me helped take the pressure off mm. of who do I hang out with? Who do I, and obviously I'm not hanging around with like, toxic people but like 
I'm also not sitting here trying to like be super um, like super focused on that either. Like I'm just trying to exist in this world on my terms in a way that I can die being happy with and 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 make that be enough. And and it, I want to do social good. And as long as I do those two things, I'm fine. You know, like I'm I'm just striving to exist in this world and not leave it shittier than it, I came into it with. <laughs> I think that's, it's so important and so refreshing to hear. And I think there are so many people and so probably people that are listening right now who are still struggling, like perhaps they're like in their late twenties or even in their thirties or forties who are still struggling with either the way that they were raised because of religious reasons. And I totally get you in the fact that like when you're raised in a certain community or in a certain culture where religion is a huge factor, it like bleeds into so many facets of your life, right? And then you have this constant rumbling, rumbling of like, you know, the purpose of, you know, God in your life or the purpose of like, you know, even church and all of that and that, and then to, you know, tie in um, your identity in terms of who you are, in terms of race, in terms of gender, um, and, you know, to then have to go into a career, have to then go into all of these facets of, like, buying a house or having children, getting married, like, all of that, and I think there are so many people in this world who still believe that they need to be holding themselves to the standard because the world expects them of it, um, and again, I think that still to this day in 2021, people are still afraid to share exactly what you just shared of the fact that like, listen, we, we need to live the life that we, you know, we ought ourselves to, because like, again, we're, we're not important, but at the same time, 50, hundred years from now, like what are people going to look up, look back and see like us, like trying to fit into a mold or like, like us actually living the authentic lives that we want to. Um, I think that something that would really help, at least it helped me with just kind of getting to a place where I'm more comfortable using my voice and living my life according to the way I want to. Cause like, I don't go to church anymore. I would still consider myself a Christian, but like, I don't go to church anymore. Um, just because of after 2016, I was like, oof. Um, but I think that what really helped me was one dealing like asking myself any thought that was like negative or that was like a I would just sometimes I would just literally sit and be like I've believed that for a very long time like is that still even true like does that still even like that might have what might what I might have believed as a kid to help me survive might not be helping me now and like I've always believed this and because like who told me that and if it's like my parents told me or if I didn't tell myself that and I didn't and I got that from somewhere then I'd like interrogate that thought you know um, but that's very hard to do, especially with religion, because you have this fear, especially in the Christian culture, like, if I question, then that might mean that I'm about to go to hell. Because what if I don't believe it anymore? Like, there, it's really breeded in like a lack of trust, like, of yourself. And so for me, stepping away from the church and like diving into journaling, like, even things like for me, I always talk about journaling, but journaling, getting my thoughts onto paper, because it's easy for me to have these feelings and think them in my head. And then a few weeks from now, be like, oh, I didn't really feel that way about it. But if I write that down, like 
I wrote it down in the moment and that exists. And I can't pretend like that, those feelings and those beliefs didn't exist. And, you know, yeah. um, that makes sense. <laughs> Everything you say has been making so much sense. You're changing my <laughs> life. It's fine. I'm really hoping it makes sense because I can get on that whole. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I feel like we can go about, we can go talk about religion and how it screwed, screwed us up in many ways. I mean, <laughs> but um, I'm no, so it's sorry, you guys. <laughs> you know, somebody actually raised a point because um, I've started, um, it's called deconstruction, basically, when people, like people who are leaving the church now because people are living in droves, they're kind of deconstructing and really breaking down like what they believe and who told them that and do they still believe that and does that match up to what they've read and what they see in the world. Um, so there's actually someone that I was, I follow who is a, she's a, I guess, deconstructionist, um, like she deconstructed, but she, she said, because I used to get pissed when I would think about, like recently I started getting really mad about like, I grew up in the church and they taught me these things and I get onto the world and these things are not as they said. Um, and I should not be afraid of these types of people and blah, blah, blah. But she said, and this is sad because it's a, it's an indictment on the misogynistic society we live in, but she was like, to some extent, she feels like she was protected because in the church, it's like, you're not really supposed to date. And if you date somebody, then you should be dating for marriage and blah, blah, blah. So she said the fact that she was only dating that one, like she only, like the fact that she felt like she could only date one person or she shouldn't date a bunch of people, she said she felt like that protected her in a way. So to some extent, I do feel sorry that we had that upbringing, or at least I had that upbringing. But to some extent, I can't, I've had to get to a point, especially in therapy, there were lots of things that happened in my childhood that contributed to trauma and the unlearning that I've had to do. But I also have to acknowledge that if some of those things had not happened or all of those things had not happened, I don't think I would have the kind of depth that I do now in my human experience. Mm. Mm -hmm. Same. My therapist also was like, I get that it's really frustrating that like it took so long to come this diagnosis and blah, da, 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 da. but also like you are years ahead of the kind of like understanding of yourself and self-awareness that most people are at like at your age and isn't that something worth taking away my therapist says that too and I'm like I don't believe you I don't believe you <laughs> It does not feel like I know more than anyone else. I don't think anyone knows what they're doing. <laughs> well, I think understanding that, I think understanding that no one knows what they're doing and knowing that you don't know what you're doing is a step further than most people who are like, they'll say they don't know what they're doing, but really they kind of think they do underneath or, or, or like they think they've got it all figured out and stuff like this. Like that acceptance that like I don't know what's happening and we're just taking a day at a time and like there's some fucked up shit happening in here like the fact that we can just accept that and like lean into it is what mm. make like makes us more clearly understand am I making sense it's like yeah thanks <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean I think on the the topic of how time, time truly does 
heal and time truly helps us understand. I thought, and this just came to me, but I thought because, uh, you know, Kashara is someone that we also met during the same internship, Niara and I met. Uh, and we all met and Randy, yes, we all met, um, you know, in the summer of 2016 um, during an internship. And I thought it'd be fun, Kashara, if you um, can share, you know, if we were to somehow go back in time and tell our 2016 year old selves a piece of advice. Oh my gosh. It probably is. It would probably be a few things. One, it would be like, girl, chill out. But the <laughs> other thing would be one of my biggest regrets about that summer was that I spent so much time um, thinking that I would find true happiness in the next thing. Mm. But I didn't even get a chance to fully enjoy the city. Like, I thought, oh man, like, I'm here. That's great but now I need to apply for these jobs so I can be able to stay here. So like, I'm not going to go to the summer concert series, or I'm not going to go and see all the parks that I can possibly see or see all of the museums multiple times a week that I can see. I'm going to go back to this apartment. And I'm going to apply for these jobs until midnight and I'm going to do it all over again tomorrow. And so I would tell myself, just relax and it's more important like you'll grow so much more if you just go and interact with the city than you will on your computer applying for jobs um and then i think the other thing i would tell myself would be um i know you like uber eats because it's new but please don't <laughs> i'm dead i I feel like we're all taught, and, and, and it is true, obviously, to, to, to a certain extent that like, you just have to put in the work, you have to put in enough applications and, you know, put in the hours and that will be how you, you know, reach whatever this goal is. And of course that's true. Like, it's all a mixture of putting in the work and like, you can't just sit by, but like, like you said, you also have to like, go out and be open to opportunities and open to new connections. And like, that's really, that's, I feel like that's really where you start thriving. And honestly, like the most helpful form of like quote networking. Networking is so intimidating because everyone phrases it or like frames it as this like one small room in the back of a bar with these big execs and you have a drink in your hand and you have to make sure that you're saying the right thing and talking to the right people but not talking too much and like there's this whole formula to it no go to go to an event that interests you go to go to a party with like not seedy people um you know like just go to these go experience life and don't be afraid to make new connections and you will be astounded at who you meet and who knows who and all of this different kind of stuff and I don't uh, I, I no one frames it that way and no one teaches marginalized communities how to network in the original sense of the word so we're just kind of stuck being like I'm working my ass off mm -hmm. and I don't understand why I'm not progressing. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. I mean, when I think about it, like I, I don't 
I'm trying to think, I don't know if there's ever been a job that I've actually applied for. Um, I have every opportunity I've ever gotten for the most part has been just knowing someone. And I knew people because I was making it a point, like when I was in college, and obviously this is kind of from a privilege standpoint, but like when I was in college, I got my first internship with someone named Carrie Hammer who lives in New York City. Um, and she she's a designer and entrepreneur. And I, I just was so hellbent on getting to New York City that I was like, I'm gonna tweet people. I'm gonna like do all of these things. So like when it comes to my college experience, I remember writing papers kind of. I remember like doing projects, but what I mostly remember is like scraping together $119 in February because that's when the tickets to New York City were the cheapest and like living my life. <laughs> like, wow. I was just like going out and meeting people. And even in Birmingham, like when I lived in Birmingham, I would just talk to people. Like I was always just so curious and like, it sucks, but it kind of is, it, it kind of is like mm -hmm. who you know in a way. But I also feel like it is who you know and it's, you have to also match that with the moment of like being really talented and having something to offer, you know, as a skill or whatever. But a lot of it is who you know. And and I never went out to try and like actively network. Like I wasn't going to networking events. I actually have done that. And I always get icky feelings by that. Uh -uh. Um, yeah. But I just, I remember in college and, and, and after college, um, less so recently, just because you kind of get into your life you know but yeah I was always I think because I hated living in Alabama so much I was just always trying to get away and so like I would bump into you I I I made it somehow like I met some I met someone who worked at the United Nations and they invited me to the United like to the UN in New York and then like I randomly met someone at an art museum and 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 went there networking and this but networking but in a, a way of like exploration by way can we of change it to like connection making i feel like that's a less scary term yeah no yeah Maybe. that's i think that would probably be be better in the moment when i was in college i was going down this path of like i feel like i need to like meet a bunch of people right. and kind of expand my network i didn't know that that was called like social capital capital mm. <laughs> But I would tell anyone like you, it's, it's, if you don't have money, if you don't have influence, if you don't, like, if you don't have those things that people, you know, like wealthy white people typically have to be able to get these amazing jobs and stuff, like social capital is like probably the best thing for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and not even just, I think oftentimes people think of like, building social capital and social networks as like, I need to meet the CEO and get to know that person. Like, no, like I just was super curious about people and I met you too. And I met so many people that I went to college with and, and just was a genuinely, try to be a genuinely nice person that like those people that you go to school with that you know right now who are in your same kind of level, like they're, a few of them are bound, at least a few of them are bound to go on and do something, but don't go burning bridges and don't be a shit person because people will remember and it always comes back around somehow. <laughs>
it's so true like if you're being a genuinely nice and curious person don't just be nice of like I will go grab you an apple but like I genuinely want to know your story and I'm I really am interested and invested in who you are as a person not who you are as a piece of social capital that's that's when it really blossoms if you will and it's kind of like sowing seeds like I was meeting people randomly um and I always felt like oh man that's so crazy that I like happened to meet that one person so like but only recently have I has it really like come to harvest if that makes sense Mm. so like when and I came back to Birmingham and I was so depressed and I was literally working at a sign shop out in the middle of country ass Alabama next to like a gun shop and it was like Trump central like it was very that I could not find another job anywhere and like of course I didn't tell you guys this um because I was really embarrassed but a teacher was like reached out to me was like hey there's a fellowship program at Time Inc um which was where the food photography and and things like that were and he was like I think you'd be good for this and if that had not happened I wouldn't have gotten that job there and while I was there doing assisting I met a woman named um Julia Tertian who's a cookbook author. And so we randomly met and we're talking about hair because she has really beautiful curly hair. And she's like, what do you do? And I was like, oh yeah, I do this by day, you know, whatever. But I got really impassioned about my website that I have. And that was three years ago. And when we started Unpack It, we were looking for um, my, the lady who gave me my first internship, um, Carrie, she was like, you need to have an advisory board. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I was like, Julia does content creation, even though it's cookbook work, like that'd probably be cool. But I, at that moment, like I would not have known that back in 2017, that that woman that I just ran, it literally felt like so random. Like I had no idea that she was well-known. Like, I I just really believe like that the connections that you build, like they may not, you may not see any thing come of them and that's not the sole purpose and that's not the, really the, the main purpose anyway like, I was yeah. just curious um but like if you just be a decent human being and you just make it a point to be very curious like the more curious you are the more you kind of find and the more mm-hmm. seeds that get planted the amount of people on like LinkedIn or connections of a connection that I used to kind of be tight with, but I haven't talked to in a while. And I'll be like, hey, can you introduce me to this person? Like, I think that they might have XYZ kind of knowledge that I would love to pick their brain for. Eight times out of 10, they say, yeah, sure. Here's 15 minutes of my time. I was, when I tell you, I was petrified to do that when I was younger. I was like, if I don't talk to them on a daily basis, they're just going to think that I'm using them and who would want to do that. And like, no one talks about the fact that the professional world is a game at the end of the day. And this is just how you play the game. And everyone knows that. And no one's going to fault you for feeding into the game. I've, I've had to get to a point where I had to get to a point where I kind of shifted like why. So like, I reach out to people when I'm genuinely curious, Like I'll reach out to know how you think like, as opposed to just hoping that this network kind of thing can help me get a job. Um, And I try to do that because as I've continued on and like working and, and more recently in like the corporate world, I had to get to a point where like, I got to a point where 
I did not tie my value to what I did. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I feel like oftentimes people network, it's because they're trying to get to the next thing that they want to do. Um, but to me, it felt like almost being like trapped in the cycle of, I want to get to know this person so that I can get to do this. And then it would lead to like, if I don't do this, then I'm not this. Whereas now I'm just like, I've tried to get to a place where my career is on my terms and I'm not motivated by money. I'm not motivated by promotion. Although I am definitely one to tell people I need a promotion and a pay raise if that matches what my job description is, you know, doing. Um, but I, I don't, I tried and it's taken me a few years to get to a point where I do not, if your whole life is built on that and built on networking and built on what your job is, like your whole world will crumble. Do you have any advice on like how to get to that point? I know you have the, when you're first kind of like looking at the concept of grounding myself and my worth outside of what I like do it's a big mountain to look at from from way back yeah yeah so what I and keep in mind you know like when when I first did this in like my early 20s I think it was like right before I graduated um and so I wasn't sure if it was going to work out but it's worked out very well for me um was I decided that I wanted to build a life off around the things that I love to do, not how much money I made. Um, and I say that because in my family, we, we were middle class and my dad worked all the time and my mom was a teacher and we had things, but our actual house, like the family dynamic was not, like people looking on the outside would think it was amazing, but like on the inside, it was like not a very healthy space to live in for our family. Um, And so for me, ever since like that, when I left home, I was like, I know that there are plenty of people here who have tons of money, but they're like in my family, we weren't happy, you know? Um, And so I can't build my life on wealth. Mm -hmm. And so I literally, um, a mentor of mine was like, build your life around the, build your life around the quality of life that you want. And you, you can't really go wrong. And so I literally decided like, okay, I want to, you know, I want to live a life where I'm creating things and would love to build a life that's sustainable off of the things I create and my writing. And, and I want to build a life where I'm helping people. And so creating like this core list of things that I wanted to build my life around every single decision that I made, as far as am I going to go work here or am I going to go work here? Am I going to move here? Am I going to stay here? Like everything that I decided was based around that going back to those core things I want to build my life, not build my life around. So it was around, um, social good around building community, um, and around, um, interdisciplinary design. And so those were the three things I decided And, you know, money was not on there. It wasn't, you know, I want to build my life around making $50,000. It was just, these are things that bring me joy and I'm going to pursue that. Um, And so when it comes to, for me, um, the question of the the post that I made on Ask a Worth about grounding yourself, the questions to ask when you're, when you need to be grounded. 
if if I have this thought, is this true? Um, what are the what's the evidence that this is true? Am I am I making decisions on my life around the things that bring me joy and love, or am I making decisions based in fear? Um, and, and so those have been really guiding kind of principles for me. And I've been doing that. I mean, I'm 28 now. I decided to do that when I was 22, and I don't make a ton of money. I make a very good living, but I don't make a ton of money. But my quality of life is so much better than friends that I have who went into careers based off of how much money those careers would make for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we've been <laughs> on this call for two hours. So thank you so much. Um, Deb, do you have any any closing questions, comments, concerns? No, I do not. I guess before we wrap up with where our viewers can find us, Kashara, where can our viewers, where, where can our listeners <laughs> find you? Yeah, Um. so my personal Instagram, which mostly is my dog and sewing, that's a new project and, and just my day-to-day -day life. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Kashara, K-A-S-H-A-R-A, uh, sorry, underscore Johnson. Um, for Undiscovered Worth, you can um, follow us there on Instagram at Undiscovered Worth. And then on to follow Unpack It and to learn more about what we're doing with our globalized database for microaggressions, you can follow us on Instagram at, at We Unpack It. What a woman. There's honestly so many other topics that I want to talk to you about so bad, but we'll just like have to have you on another time. Oh my gosh, yeah. But oh no. I'm so honored <laughs> that y'all even asked me. I was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, all right. Well, Dev, do you want to let listeners know where they can find theirs? Yes. Uh, let me try to not screw this up, but you can find us at persistingincolor at gmail.com. Email us, shout us out. Um, and if you have any questions for Kashara, uh, please uh, reach out to us there as well. And on in the Instagram, uh, you can reach us at, at persisting underscore in underscore color. Gosh, I completely forgot to share the website. <laughs> oh, there's still time. Okay, yeah, just add the link. Yeah, we have a website too. I completely forgot about that. We'll add it to the description. And I assume it's linked to the Instagram anyway, it right? Is, yeah, it is. Perfect. <laughs> Guys, go check out Kashara's Instas, her website, clearly like just a wealth of knowledge of how to center yourself and stay true to yourself through capitalism at the root of it. <laughs> but as always, thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you in two more Mondays. Bye guys. Bye.